Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 820 with Stephanie Robson. Everything you do is psychology, though, right? Yeah. And in our business, right? Hospitality, restaurants, the psychology is even more important because nobody has to go to a restaurant, right? This is a choice. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people, and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. 
What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. We're talking to Stephanie Robson. I should say Dr. Stephanie Robson, Cornell School of Hotel Administration. She's a senior lecturer emerita. It's a very fancy word for, I think, retired faculty. Um, but we are so lucky to have Stephanie here at the state. So the, the way I found Stephanie is by way of Jim Laub and Joe Erickson over at restaurantowner.com. So we've been trying to get much more intentional with the content. I've been trying to gauge and field what people in the network want me to go into. So the way I look at it is I'm going to work for people in the network. They're telling me what their pain points are. They're telling me their areas of interest and I'm going to my network and trying to find the right people to talk to. So we have Access to restaurantowner.com. When you join Restaurant Stoppable Network, you get six months free access to restaurantowner.com. And in that website or at that website, that, that domain, that membership site, you get a whole slew of templates and uh, like spreadsheets, forms, checklists, all kinds of stuff. And in that archive, in that library, they have a business plan template and they have multiple formats for different types of, of restaurants. Stephanie gets into it in today's episode. But what we're doing today is literally going through that format or that uh, business plan template. And Joe and Jim went to Stephanie to kind of build on this template and to make sure that it's, it's you know the latest Stuff. It's the most up-to-date, accurate, cutting-edge technology, information, knowledge, systems around business planning out there. And we're using that business plan as a template. And today, uh, this is part one of a three-part series, a workshop that we're doing in the network. We have the recording. Uh, if you guys are in the network, you get to join us live and ask your questions. Uh, so it, there's actually... As this is going live, we still have one part that we haven't recorded yet, and that's the third part. So three-part series. First part is going to be, who are you writing your business plan for? Learning how to understand the audience you're writing your business plan for. And then the second part, part two, is going to be going over your pro forma and really trying to figure out, you know, estimate what it's going to cost you to run this business. And we go into detail. That was actually recorded earlier this this week, which is the week before that this episode is going live, it gets a little confusing, but we are still recording part three, which is going to be going over your capital budget, which is a huge conversation. So this is going to be a three part series. This is part one. There's still time to be a part of the conversation. If you found value in today's episode, I know you're going to find value in today's episode, by the way. So uh, that's how we found Stephanie. That's what we're doing today. We're going over who to write your business plan for and a little bit more information about Stephanie uh, until her recent retirement. Dr. Stephanie Robson was a member of the faculty at the Cornell School of Hotel Administration for almost 30 years, where she taught literally thousands of students and executives about developing and planning for hotels and restaurants. Prior to joining academia, she designed commercial kitchens for just about every kind of operation out there, restaurants, hotels, airports, hospitals, universities, you name it. She did it. That's who we're talking to today. Tons of value in today's conversation. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Emeritus of Faculty. Sorry, Emeritus. Is that the right term? Emeritus Faculty? I'm that never, is, this is the a right one. It sounds crazy. Emeritus <laughs> Faculty of the Hotel School of Cornell University, Stephanie Robson. Stephanie, are you feeling unstoppable today? 
I think I think my students would say I'm always unstoppable and they aren't always grateful for that. But yes, <laughs> feeling unstoppable. Yes, I cannot wait to get into today's conversation. We're going to be talking about business planning specifically how to engage or how to write a business plan for your audience is what we're going to be getting into specifically. And this is part one of three-part workshop where we're going to be going through business planning first, how to write your business plan for your specific audience. Then uh, we're going to be covering pro formas a week from today. And two weeks from today, we're going to be covering capital budget. And the reason why Stephanie is here is because originally I was collaborating with restaurantowner.com to to basically lead today's conversation. And we're going to use their business plan template that you all have access to if you're in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Uh, you get six months free access to restaurantowner.com. So just make sure you're taking advantage of that. We were going to cover that template and go through it. And then Jim and Joe were just like, well, why don't we just connect you with our resource where we went to the, to, to develop this business plan? And that is you, Stephanie. Uh, so we, we went straight to the source. I'm super excited to unpackage uh, business planning with you, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? The one that I like to use is know who you're talking to and what they care about. Know that, who you're talking to and what they care about. Yeah. Know who you're talking to and what they care about. This isn't just for business planning, but this is for anything you do because every time we are engaging with a guest or a prospective investor, or a prospective business partner, you have to get inside their head so that you can make your message work for them. So I always tell my students, who's your guest? What do they care about? And what we're going to talk about today is, you know, who's reading your business plan and what do they care about so that you can actually make the biggest impact with what you're doing? So it's it's funny that you you say this quote because it really reminds me of one of the, the seven habits of highly effective people. And we were talking about that book this morning in our morning meeting. And one of those habits is first seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think of when you say, uh, know who you're talking to, understand them, understand. And we were actually talking about psychology before we hit record too. And I think that really plays into, but I think I don't want to get too far off track. Oh, no, no. We, we can do we can <laughs> yeah. all kinds of ways. Everything you do is psychology though, right? Yeah. I and in it. our business, right? Hospitality, restaurants, the psychology is even more important because nobody has to go to a restaurant, right? This yeah. is a choice. And so if you understand what's driving people, no matter what you're doing, you'll be more successful. So that's yeah. kind of my overarching uh, mantra. So I gave the listeners a little bit of an idea of who we're talking to. But before we dive into today's subject, do you want to just maybe paint the picture a little bit better as far as who you are and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, I sort of backed into all of this. I actually started as a cook. Um, I worked in what was a, a summer camp. It was a manor house in Wales, and it was rented out to a summer camp. So I worked cooking food for 15 to 18-year-olds in Wales in Britain. And that was great. I loved it. Yeah, it was awesome. And I thought, you know, I really enjoy this. I think I want to go to school for it. So I ended up doing a a bachelor's degree in hospitality management and really liked it, but didn't necessarily want to do operations. So I went into design. I designed commercial kitchens and so talked stainless steel and equipment specs and all that good stuff. And while I was doing that, I started to learn about how the design affected people, but the guests and the people working in the back of house. And I thought, this is really cool. And to make a long story short, I ended up going back to school and getting more degrees and blah, 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 but ended up 
teaching it, which has been really rewarding. And so what I focus on is how can you create an environment that gives people the effect that you want to have on them? And that has been really, really interesting because restaurants haven't been studied very much. I think I'm one of the only people who does it. We're like in, uh, there's so much room for growth in this vertical because we are notorious for being behind times. So not only are we in this period of time where growth and change is happening faster than ever before, but the restaurant industry is also like five years behind. So we have to like catch up to what we've we're already behind. And then once we get caught up, I feel like the, there's just going to be endless like possibility for just, just the world's going to be changing so fast in the, the real near future. I think you're right. And the, the technology piece, which is so important to how we run, is also really important to understand what effect it's going to have on your guests and your employees before we start recording. And you have to excuse me, my lawn guy is here doing my lawn. <laughs> so you might hear that in the background. We can hear um, you louder. It's fine. Oh, that's good. That's all that matters. But I think the, the technology is going to affect people's reception of what their experience is going to be like. And we have to be very careful in how we apply it. Um, and again, now we're, we're going away from business planning, yeah. but it all does come together because I think the business plan, a lot of people see it as this kind of thing I'm going to do at some point. And I'm going to pick on you, Eric, just a little bit, because when we were talking before the session, you mentioned that you have this business idea and you're working on the vision for that business idea and you're doing a little testing. And when we first started talking this morning, Eric was wearing an apron and he had like flour all over it. <laughs> And because he was recipe testing, which is awesome. And that's one of the fun things about doing restaurants, right? But really, you are working on your business plan, even though you haven't written a word. The business plan is not this standalone document that you do when you're ready. It's a thing you're doing all the time. It just may not be on paper yet or may not be digital yet. It's all in here. So don't think of it as this like monumental task, like, oh, my gosh, I have to write this thing. It's something you're working on all the time. Now, go ahead. You know, I think one of the, my challenges, and I know maybe we're getting too soon into the questions, but one of my challenges as somebody who um, has to end up writing, whether it's a vision or a business plan down, the way I process is with other people. I, I, I think better with people. If that makes sense. Like I, I, I love the feeling of masterminding versus just being kind of close up in your own head thinking, is this a good deal idea? Like I want to get it out. I want to get feedback. And I think one of the things that's been holding me back as far as getting the start on my business plan is, is not having the group of people to share it with and to have it kind of unpacked naturally. I mean, am I getting ahead of us? I, I don't no, want to do you're that. You're providing the world's best segue. Nicely awesome. done. Nicely done. Because <laughs> that's one of your audiences, right? We yeah. think about the business plan. A lot of people think it's a document that you use to attract investors, right? That's the thing that you're going to present to whether it's equity investors or if you're in a position where you can go to a bank and see if they're interested in providing you with lending. That's what the business plan is for. And yeah, but really, you've got three major audiences, right? Okay. But We'll start with the finance side, and we're going to focus more on the finance side in the next two workshops that Eric mentioned earlier on. You've got your, what I'll call your advisors. So you talked about wanting to share it with other people and get their feedback. And and that's incredibly important. A lot of people think the business plan has to be this perfectly formed thing before you show it to anybody else. No, I think the whole point is to get feedback as you're developing it. And so your advice, yeah, dynamic, because 
people are going to read it and say, mm, I'm not sure I understand this, or, you know, can you explain this a little bit better, or you're missing this big piece. That's really important to the, the writing process as well. And so you're advising team, and again, they don't have to be existing restaurateurs, although that's incredibly helpful, right? They can be anybody, especially if there's someone who you think is your target customer. Having someone like that read your business plan who's not a restaurateur, who's not an entrepreneur, can actually be really helpful because they might say, I don't get this concept or I don't understand what you're trying to say with this. And if they're the ones that you're trying to reach and you can't communicate it well with the document, you got some work to do, but that's okay. Yeah. You're making me think of a, the, the term a minimal viable product right now where you just start and it's not your final product, but, but by just starting as small as possible, as lean as possible, and just putting it out there, this is what we're doing. This is who we are. You get that feedback and you're constantly slowly evolving over time and making those fine tweaks based off of what people are telling you because you're sharing. Absolutely. You may be making big tweaks. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you may find that people give you feedback that tells you your concept is something that's not broadly appealing. I had a, a student once who had the best statement. We, I teach a course in restaurant development and we do everything from, you know, the business plan and site selection and figuring out the space and the whole nine yards. It's great fun. And one of these students at the start of the course, he said, you have to understand we're not normal. If we're trying to start a restaurant, we are by definition not normal people, right? We have liars. <laughs> yeah, we're outliers. It's an incredibly difficult business. I'm not saying anything you don't already know, right? It's a hard business. It's an exciting business. It's a very dynamic business. And you've got to be a little crazy to do this work because it, it is a nine to five, right? Incredibly yeah. all consuming. So we're not normal. And if the person who is uh, your target customer, they have to understand where you're coming from rather than if you are writing a business plan saying, no, no, this is my idea and I'm sticking to it. Even if my feedback isn't as positive as I'd like, you might be setting yourself up for some problems. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to get too far off subject, but one of the, con- the, the, the conversations that comes up a lot organically on the show is do I do exactly what I want because I'm the person that has to show up to this thing every day. And should my business be an extension of who I am and what lights me up and what gets me excited? Or should I think with the end in mind, the, 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 the market and reverse engineer what they want? Uh, I think I'm torn sometimes. I think there's got to be a little bit of a balance. And I think it's when you mm-hmm. get that overlay where you just happen to be lucky enough, the thing that you do is what the market wants. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on what I just shared? Well, I think you've hit on a really important thing, which is it has to be both. Yeah. Right? It has to be both. If you have something you're really excited about, yes, that keeps you motivated through all the difficulties of running these kinds of businesses, but it also has to resonate with the guest. But if you start with you know, a, an idea that comes out of market research and you think, well, I can make money with this, but I don't, my heart's really not in it, it's not going to be fulfilling for you. And if it's not fulfilling for you, it's not going to make money. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, so it's got to be that balance. And this is, again, where the business plan, you know, we talk about the audiences, right? The bank or the lenders, your advisors, but the most important audience is you. Mm. This is your ongoing open thought process in a document or in a deck. It doesn't have to necessarily be a written document. A lot of people think it has to be this report. 
that is all fancy and bound. And that's maybe why it's so intimidating to a lot of people. And sure, there are templates out there and there are lots of resources out there, but don't think of it as this monumental document. This is a document for you or a tool for you to think through your concept and everything about it. I, I like the analogy of thinking of it as your center line or, you know, your operations manual or your business plan. It's These your guide the, rails. Yeah. They're guide the rails. center line. When you start to drift either direction, you can say, well, this isn't where we are. Isn't where we said we're going to be or who we are. Let's recorrect, get back on that center line. Is that Absolutely. a good analogy? That's a great analogy. I, I use the one of guide rails because yep. you're, you're going to, the center line assumes that there is a center. When you first start planning, you may not have a center. You may be kind of like, eh, I'm not sure. I know it's going to be fast casual, or I know it's going to be a place that really emphasizes family or whatever your concept is, but you have wide guide rails. And as you learn more about your idea, as you go through the business planning process, those guide rails start to get a little closer together. They're never going to be completely like this because we have to change, right? The industry is very dynamic. People are dynamic. Uh, we're seeing this right now, right? Our yeah. needs to be very flexible about labor and protein costs. And so, you know, your guide rails are going to get closer. But if you think of the business plan as figuring out where your guide rails are and what goes between them and taking in feedback from as many different sources as you can, and this is just a way to communicate with those people. So that's kind of how I, I like to think about this tool. And I'm going to say tool rather than document because document sounds... Yeah, bad. I like tool better. Tool's uh, better. So who is your audience? Number one, finance, the banks. Uh, number two, your advisors. And real again, one sentence, who are the advisors? That's the market, right? Well, it can be peers. Yeah. So other restaurateurs, other entrepreneurs. It can be prospective guests. So, you know, that the market... And it can just be people who care about you. Mm. Um, that's kind of a theme that I like to use is, is, is this idea of care, because that's yeah. what we do in our industry. People who care about you want to make sure that what you're doing is going to be in your best interest. So, yeah, you want your spouse or your parent or your sibling or somebody who's close to you to read this document. But you also want it to be as many different people who you think will provide you with good feedback as possible. And I and say good la- feedback, not positive feedback necessarily, just good feedback. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, you, which I think you could also extend that to your team, right? The people that show up every day to the business. Yeah. Once you have those people in place, business planning often is happening before you have a team. In fact, it should happen before you have a team because how do you know what team you need? until you have some sense of what this business is and how you're going to execute. Um, And that kind of leads me to the next sort of main point I want to make, which is something we've talked about already, which is now that you know who your audiences are, right? And I'm going to say banks, but also investors, because when you're starting a restaurant business, any kind of food business, typically banks aren't going to be that interested in you. Um, Ironically, right? Banks are only interested if you already have assets, (laughs) Um, So you might be looking at equity investors, right? And those, we call that F&F financing, right? Friends and family. Um, But you've got those people, the advisors and you, you start with what do these people care about? Not how do I impress them or, you know, how do I make them understand me? It's what do they care about? Um, There's that sort of joke about actors 
and who are working on their roles. And it's like, what's my motivation? Well, that's kind of what you have to do when you're thinking about putting together your business plan for these audiences. So let's start with the numbers people, right? What do they care about? And Eric, I'm going to ask you that question. I mean, the numbers people you talk to, what do you think they care about? The numbers people, they want to make sure you're going to pay back the loan. Yeah. <laughs> they want to make yeah. sure, or you have assets to cover the loan in case, you, in case it fails. Absolutely. So yeah. if it's a lender, there they care about one thing, which is, am I going to get paid or paid back? And to be honest, they don't necessarily want to take your assets. They want to get paid back. The last thing they want is a house, right? Yeah. And <laughs> so, I, mean, I, I would say too, like your track record, your experience, like they're investing in you and your ability to actually execute what you say you need the money for. So they're going to see if they're, you're a good pony to bet on, basically. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, a corollary to the first point, right? Am I going to get paid back? And what are the things yeah. that feed into that? Thing number one is, does this person have a good track record or show that they have the resources to be able to do this, you know, emotionally from a skill standpoint and they have a support network. Uh, Is it a good idea? Do they have the right numbers? All that kind of stuff. And again, we'll talk more about numbers in the next two workshops for those of you who are numbers geeks, but yeah, their main motivation is, am I going to get paid back? So when you're thinking about communicating with these people in your document or in your deck or whatever it is you're putting together for them, that's always going to be in the back of your mind is you're building confidence with this document. So everything has to have a logic and everything has to be supported. It's, it's almost like going to court, right? There has to be some logic that runs through it. So they're interested in the how much piece, how much money are you going to make? But they're also interested in something that I'm going to call the why. And that's going to be the theme for all the other audiences, The why is, why are you doing this? (laughs) Because let's face it, there are easier ways to make money. There really are. And so you have to convince everyone who's looking at this document, including you, of the why behind it. We tend to focus a lot on the what and the how. So let's talk about the other two audiences. We'll talk about the advisor audience and then you as the person putting this thing together. You're the, the primary audience. We focus a lot on the what is this thing, right? What is the concept? What is the menu? What's the service model? What's the pricing? We also focus a lot about the how, you know, what kind of team do I need and and how are they going to be integrated in to create this this concept? We talk about how much we're going to produce in-house versus what we're going to outsource or all those sort of what and how questions. They, of course, need to be thought through. But the what and the how are really where you can get feedback. But the question you can't get feedback on, and the most important thing for you as the audience, is the why question. Why are you doing this? And why do you think you are the right person to do this? And so, Eric, what you just said about talking to lenders and sort of convincing them you're the right pony to bet on, that's really the why, is why is Eric the right person to do this? Do you have a a background with the cuisine that you're talking about? Did you grow up at your grandmother's knee making calzones? Or did you, you know, you were in college and you ate calzones 24-7? I don't know what. But there has to be a why that is compelling because you've got to sell yourself to that prospective lender or that prospective equity partner. And the why is also going to be the first part of your guide rails. 
Because if you have an idea of why you're doing something, every decision you can make, you can see, does that really fit with why I'm doing this? So this is going to be the case also for your advisors, right? Because they're going to focus on the hows and the whats, but the whys have to be compelling to them too, because they have to understand where you're coming from. Well, that was going to be one of my follow-up questions because under I'm taking notes and I have what they care about is the topic we're talking about right now. And then we have banks and I have equity advisor, equity investors and advisors on the same line because they tend to be friends and family, right? Uh, and I, I put the why underneath equity investors and advisors because to in, in my experience, they're the ones that are, they're, they're not voting on so much or they're not paying into what you're doing as much as who you are and why you're doing it because it's more emotional when it becomes to the, the equity investors I've, I've found. But I guess what you're, what you're saying too is the banks do want to know the why as well. Absolutely. Because as you pointed out beautifully earlier, they're betting on you. Mm. They are betting on you. And so they have to understand why you are the right person. And I can't stress enough the importance of you understanding why you're doing this, because that helps you through the tough stuff, right? There's going to be a lot of tough stuff, but it also helps you fine tune some of the what's and how's. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important too to write this stuff down because at some point we're going to hit this wall where it's going to be miserable, where we're going to want to quit. And I think to have your why written down, to have that click clear, that, that clarity on why you get to not say, Oh man, I, I, I have to show up. I have to do this again. I have to do another day of this again, but that changes. So I get to do this again. When you realize what your why is and when you can get, kind of get at 30,000 feet again and see the big picture, it helps you kind of keep showing up. Absolutely. When, when you're cleaning that grease trap, yeah. <laughs> uh, you need as much why as you possibly can, right? It's exactly. the, the least fun job of them all. But this is why I talk about this as the business plan, yeah. because you can't come up with an idea without a why. Yeah. And I would like to think most of my listeners have listened to Simon Sinek start with why by, by now. Uh, but if you have not, now's a great time to go get that book on audio. Uh, I'm telling you, like that book explains to the T what Stephanie is getting into right now. Sorry to interrupt if I did. Oh, no, no, that's good. That's good. And I think the the things that I see, I want to sort of segue to things that, that people do that kind of shoot themselves in the foot with their business plan, mistakes that I often see, um, you know, obviously not thinking through the why, but I think the, the problem I see is people have a very deep love of their concept and they can't articulate it clearly to somebody else. And you know you have a problem with your concept when either you have to say things like, well, the guest will just have to, or you will just have to in order to understand something. That's a flaw in the concepts sort of phrasing. It doesn't mean your concept's bad. It just means you haven't got a clearly defined and communicated to somebody else. So having that sort of explaining what your concept is in a short concise and really easily understood way. But what a lot of the mistakes are, are doing it based on the food. Um, I always start again with restaurants. Nobody has to go to a restaurant. And there's a lot of research on why people go to restaurants. And guess what? It's not about the food. (laughs) Um, Even though there's studies that say, oh, here's a questionnaire and we're going to (laughs) rank all these different reasons why you go to restaurants. People say, oh, food's first. That's not actually true. I had a really great debate with a bunch of chefs at a chef's collaborative summit Uh in Boulder, Colorado on this subject. And 
I didn't win the conversation that day, but I'm on, I'm, I'm leaning in your direction. Well, the science backs <laughs> you up, Eric. There are citations that I can send you because when you ask people what they care about going to restaurants, they'll say food first. But when you actually watch people selecting a restaurant, we did a study where we got just groups of people in a room and we said, imagine, you know, you don't know each other. You're going to go out to eat to get to know each other. Decide on a restaurant, go. And we just recorded what they said and made. And you know what? Food was way down the list of how they chose a restaurant. And what's really important is how the restaurant is going to facilitate the experience they want to have. So I get to this point when we talk about business planning is you've got to start with what experience do you want your guests to have, which is what do your guests care about? And then how are you going to deliver on that? It's always with what does your guest care about? And then once you get sort of an understanding of what your guest cares about, the concept starts to come together and you can start expressing it in ways rather than saying, you know, we're a steakhouse that specializes in great California Cabernet Sauvignons. Okay. But I don't understand your why with that. It's, it tells me you really like steak and cab and a lot of people do. It's a great combination. But if you start with people need a place to do deals or people need a place to celebrate. And when they celebrate, they push the boat out, right? They're going to not worry about their diet. They're not going to worry about their pocketbook. They're just going to do something great. And then the, everything else in the concept starts to connect to that. If you start yeah. with what they care about. So I'm curious, and um, I know you're really big into psychology and I think you might be able to help me unpackage this a little bit. When I answer this question, like why, do, what makes people go out? Like what's driving it? I always say it's psychographic. It's, it's, and, and I'm really like letting up on the inside right now. Cause I feel like you're reinforcing that, that sentiment that it's, and what I like to say, it's not what people, they're, they're not going for, to your, your restaurant, like for all the reasons you just listed. It's about what I like to say. It's about what people think of me when I go into your restaurant. Like how do, how do, how does eating at your restaurant reflect on what I think about myself and what I want others to think about me? Oh my gosh. You've been reading the literature, Eric. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> but is, and I think that it's very aligned with what you say with, with what it's what your guests care about, because what people care about is what other people think about them. You are spot on. Can I use an example <laughs> that's not in the restaurant industry, but it's a really good illustration Please. of what you just said. I'm going to talk about Walmart versus Target. Yeah. <laughs> right. There are Walmart people and there are Target people. And I understand that in many markets, you don't have both, right? You'll just have Walmart. But in a market where there's Walmart and Target, people will very, very much self-identify with one or the other. And it's not like they look at the other and go, oh, you're horrible. You know, you're a Walmart, you're a Target. But you connect with one or the other because it says something about who you are, right? The Walmart shopper might be focused on price specifically. And their idea is, you know, Walmart's going to give me the best price because they are massive and they have huge buying power and I can get in there and get everything I need. And, and it's a very sort of what I'll call a functional approach. The target shopper is what I'll call the hedonic. That's an you know, academic word for you know, pleasure seeking. But target is really more about exploration and finding stuff. You can't go into target and come out with just the things you went in for, right? They're brilliant at that. So, but the back to your point about self-image is you start connecting with one of those brands and that's who you see yourself as. And that's who you will talk to other people 
who see yeah. themselves that same way. We do the same thing in restaurants, right? Yeah. So it's not based off the food. It's about what people, uh, it's a, it's not about the food. It's, it's the, the, we rewrote, it's the, I'm trying to read my handwriting. My, my miss, I was trying to keep up with you facilitating of the ex, the experience specifically. What do people, what does the, the guests care about? We talked about, uh, it's about the people or this is what I wrote down. Actually, never mind. These are things I was just writing down, but keep going from there. Take it from there. Yeah, no, you, what they care about for that particular meal experience. So let's say you've got a concept that is really more about grab and go. Mm-hmm. So you're, the guests might care about things that aren't relevant to your particular dining experience that you're offering. So in the context of grab and go, what does the guest care about? Or in the context of a special dining occasion, what does the guest care about? So the business plan, back to, to sort of that that way of thinking is if you can start with that, what do they care about? That's the first part of your guide rails. And then what are some of the things I can do to deliver on that, to give them what they care about? And then what do I feel of all those options? Which are the ones that resonate with me? Because I need to be really excited about what this thing is I'm creating. Okay. So those guide rails start to come in a little bit more. And now you're at a point where you can start bringing advisors in. Even though you don't have a menu, you don't have a, a, an idea of your revenues, you don't, none of that stuff is there yet. That's okay. You're bouncing the idea off as many people as possible and just getting their input. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to point out like you're, this is when you're saying it's really not about the food, it's really nothing to do with the food. Like it's so outside of the world of food. It's like, what do my customers care about? Like literally like what do they get out of bed and what worries them? You know, is it about being well? Is it about global warming? Is it about equal rights? Is it about any one of these, like these causes? And that's why you're seeing a lot of like these brands that are coming up that are like, like mission driven brands that they, they do the food, but all the attention is on why they exist, the change they want to see in the world. So they can attract onto themselves the people who are like, that's me too. Right. Uh, and I think that's what you're, you're getting into. And I might've derailed you from that train of thought, but I think it was worth like really driving home. Like don't even think about the food. Think about like what you care about as a human and what other people would can also associate with. And then the food follows from that, right? Yeah. Everything follows from that. The food, the service model, the, the, what the space looks like. One of the things that's been kind of fun about teaching this is often students will sign up for the course and the very first day I'll go around the room and I'll say, oh, you know, introduce yourself. Tell me why you took the course. And a lot of them say, I have this idea. And I tell them to take their left hand and hold it out in front of them and take their right hand and smack their left hand. Because you're not here <laughs> to build this one idea. You're here to yeah. learn about the process. And your idea may be awesome, but the way you've just explained it to me, I don't have anything under, underneath it to understand the why. And I don't have anything underneath it to show me that this is something that actually is viable. And unfortunately, a lot of us start with, oh, I have this idea. You know, I want to do an all meatloaf restaurant. And I'm just going to, I love meatloaf and everybody else loves meatloaf. And that's what I'm going to do. But if you start with people need comfort, right? This is a time, especially right now, where people are going for comfort. And okay, what makes people comfortable in terms of food? What makes them comfortable in terms of environment? What makes them comfortable in terms of even the music that you play? And all that starts to come together. So to tie this back to business planning, you're you're doing this thinking kind of on paper or on a website or, or, or on a, a PowerPoint slide or whatever tool you like to use. You're putting all these ideas in place and you're kind of mushing them around. 
Now you go to audience number two, which is your advisors and just say, I'm kind of in this place. What do you think? And there's some wonderful exercises that we used to do in class where we people extract ideas from images and all kinds of fun stuff. And But really, you're just trying to get as much input as you possibly can to help you figure out where those guide rails are and start moving them closer and closer together. Okay. So under the, the big mistakes that we see, we said people focus too much on the concept. They focus too much on the food. What are some of the other big mistakes that we haven't touched on? Some of them are, and I have to look at my little notes here. I'm going to call it the field of dreams concept. Um, I don't know how many out there listening are old enough to know the reference, the field of dreams. If they build it, they will come. Yeah. There's a lot of people who uh, will just think, well, this is a great idea and I'm going to build it and people will just come. You need to support all your assertions in a business plan. And those don't necessarily need to be supported with uh, research that you've done yourself. Um, we talk about research as being either primary research, something that you go out and you collected the information yourself. You went around and talked to people. And by the way, surveys, terrible way to collect information. We, we could talk all day about why you don't want to survey prospective guests. Um, but you might go out and look at the competition, let's say, and analyze what they're doing. That's primary research. You can also do a lot of secondary research. And for your market research, often that's going to be secondary. In other words, you're looking at information other people have gathered and you're interpreting it in the context of your business plan. So a lot of people make the mistake of not doing their due diligence, not doing enough research, whether it's primary or secondary, to support their assertions. They're just saying, I've got this great idea. I've thought it all through. I can demonstrate it's going to make money. Hooray, let's go. And you got to have that support underneath it that shows you logic all the way along. And I would encourage people. I think a lot of people, when it comes to getting that primary uh, data, are afraid to talk to their competition. And you know what? You might get a handful of people that tell you to go pound sand or take a hike. Like, I'm not talking to you. But for every one of those people that you're not doing this for, or these are the reason that these are the people that are keeping you from doing it, there's going to be five or six people that are willing to talk to you and share everything. And those are going to be your comrades, your colleagues going into the future. And if you can establish a relationship from day one with them, two or three of them might even become your mentors. So, like, don't not, don't, let being turned down or being told to go pound sand or take a hike stop you from talking to people in your in your market. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a, an excellent point. Restaurants are kind of a different animal from other kinds of business because competition actually is good for everyone. Um, think about cities you've been in where all the restaurants are in one neighborhood, like there's a restaurant row. There's a reason for that. And yes, there's a financial reason, a real estate reason, but there's also a real aggregation effect, a lot of value in being close to lots of other restaurants. So good restaurateurs welcome good competition and they want to make sure it's good competition. So they'll be helpful to you. All ships rise with the tide, as Danny Meyer says in his book. Absolutely. Um, St. Danny. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we got, People fall in love with the food. They fall in love with their concept. They get this. If they, we build it, they will come mentality. Mm-hmm. They don't do the research. In other words, what else are we missing? Um, the classic one is, oh, you just don't understand my idea. Yeah. And do I, we finish unpacking, unpackaging the, if we build it, they will come uh, elements, meaning doing the research. I don't I mean, want to cut you short there. No, no, I mean, we could talk all day about that one, but it's a common pitfall because 
we fall in love with our concepts. We have to, right? Or we won't execute because it's so hard to do these businesses. Rewarding, but hard. It's like raising children, right? Rewarding, you wouldn't trade it for anything, but oh my gosh, there are days, right? Yeah. But I think the field of dreams problem is related to this next one, which is, oh, they just don't understand my concept. Or I think if they got it, we, you know, I'd be able to move ahead with this, but you're my roadblock. We get so caught up in the concept. It's hard to take in input from others, especially input that might tell us our guide rails are in the wrong yeah. spot. The problem is not um, you, not me. It's you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's not, it's not me. It's you. Trust yeah. me. It's always you, the person who's coming up with the concept, <laughs> always you. Yeah. But there's another sort of side to that. And I'll sort of finish with this one. And then we can maybe blow the floor open to questions because I see the chat starting to pop up, which is great. Yeah. Um, is letting perfectionism get in the way. Um, a lot of people want everything to be perfect either before they show it to somebody or before they think they're ready to jump. You're never going to have a perfect business plan. You're never going to be hundred percent ready. Um, don't worry about waiting until you have a vision to start putting this together in some form of, of document or deck that you can show to people. Start it now and chip away at it. It's never going to be perfect. That's fine. It's a living yeah. document. Your so. journey literally starts. You're like you. What anybody can do, and I think Wes has been doing a great job this season. The, the, the he's attending today is to share your story, share your journey from the time of this is what I want to do. Start putting it out there and create a social, create a website, create a social media account for every, like for Facebook or Twitter and Instagram, and just start putting your vision out there, your journey out there, and then start collecting information, start collecting data. You can start doing this today for like the cost of putting a website together. You know, that's the starting point. And then document the process of writing your business plan and getting that feedback. Like that's like all this can be a part of the journey, especially today, because people aren't buying what you do. They buy why you do it. So if you can start sharing that why from day one and have a list of a thousand people who are chomping at the bit for your opening day, because you've established a relationship with them, like that's the way you need to be thinking today. What are your thoughts as I say that? I think you're absolutely right. You said the keyword relationship. Yeah. And I'm going to circle back to the very where we started this conversation, which is our business is about giving people something. We are giving people in the restaurant industry. That's kind of, we're built that way. And we always talk about wanting to have great regulars because we built a relationship with them. So when you're writing a business plan, not only you're describing the relationships you're trying to create and why you're trying to create them, but you're using this as a tool to start those relationships going. Um, and I think that's a nice way to kind of end the the more sort of lectury part. I hope this hasn't been terribly. No, dry. this, this is, uh, I've 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 loved today's conversation. Um, thank you for those who have sat through with us. I do have some bullets that we didn't touch on. I wanted to make sure you, you didn't miss those document versus deck. Did you want to get into that, or did you just say a little bit? Um, okay. Again, when I say deck, I mean like a PowerPoint slide deck. Some people think again that business plan has to be this big fat report and maybe writing isn't their thing. You know, either they don't like it or they're not good at it or everybody can write, trust me. But some people prefer to be more visual and that's fine. I've seen some really effective business plans that are done as a PowerPoint deck that are mostly visuals with a little bit of text, just enough. It has to stand as its own document. You can't 
have it as a, a PowerPoint deck or another tool, you know, whichever software package you like to use. But it, it has to be something you can give to someone and you don't have to be standing there presenting it. It has to be something they can read on their own and understand. But if you are more visual or you tend to not feel like you want to write a lot of text, you don't have to make a big report out of it. It can be another form. Yeah, I think in this concise is better than like a bunch of stuff. So if, like if you can just communicate clearly, that's, that's more effective than impressing people with a 60 page business plan. Oh gosh, yes. Please don't do yeah. 60. <laughs> but what you can do, what I tell a lot of my students is you want a two page, what I'll call executive summary, which essentially is everything that's important in that document should fit in two pages. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the idea, who it's for, why you're doing it, who are you and why do you think you're the right person? What's it going to make? What's it going to cost you to do? And Jeff, roughly in that order, you can move things around. And if you were, if, if I said that really fast and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't keep up. There are templates available that have really sort of good business plan outlines. Um, uh, restaurantowner.com, which I know is an organization that you have an alliance with, Eric, right? Yeah. So if you are in, if you're in Restaurant Unstoppable Network, as soon as you sign up, um, we put you on a list that we share with restaurantowner.com. And if you're on that list, when you go to sign up uh, and you use a promotional code, uh, then you will get six months free access to restaurantowner.com, where that's where the template that you'd helped restaurant owner develop mm-hmm. is that lives over at restaurantowner.com. There's actually several templates. We put together a template for a table service restaurant, for a quick service, you know, fast casual or QSR, and also one for um, what we're calling virtual kitchen or ghost kitchen. I know there's a distinction between those two, um, but if you have a specific business idea, there are templates for all of those. So they sort of give you an outline of the things that need to be in that document. But I was talking about the executive summary. That needs to be like two pages. So someone can read that. And then the rest of the document is just providing supporting evidence for what you said in those two pages. Mm-hmm. So if I'm looking through it and I want to know more about who your market is, I can go to that section and learn more, but I don't have to read the whole document to get it. That's the hardest thing to write. Write that last. <laughs> the executive summary is last, but it really does force you to make sure you've got all the main points in that business plan before you trot in front of a bank or before you trot in front of an an equity investor. Um, So we have covered a lot. I can't believe we're already 45 minutes into this. Uh, Do you want to open it up for Q and a, or are there any questions we need to be asking ourselves before we get into this? Like what, how do you want to transition to Q and a? I would love to just see what people think. Cause I've seen the chat is starting to wake up. A few people are typing things. I can't really read and speak at the same time. I'm sort of old school that way. Um, But I would love to know what people are thinking or if you have questions or other no formal questions yet, just a lot of uh, reinforcement. And I think actually now is a good time to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to start fielding some of these questions. Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Plate IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no 
personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with Play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Plate IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Plate IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Plate IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also, with Play IQ Bill Pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ Insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention, it's time-consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third-party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. And while you're thinking of those, I know we were talking a little bit about the research. I can tell you a little bit more about the sorts of things people care about when they're choosing a restaurant, if that helps give you some, some juice. Um, you know, they think about the experience they want to have. Um, they, they want to allocate resources. I mean, that's sort of an economist's way of putting it. But you think about the resources that your customers have. They have time, money, energy. Those are the big ones. And so the, the choice of a restaurant is often a balancing those three. And you'll say, oh, people want to have a convenient, you know, convenience is key. Well, what do you mean by convenience? Is it time or is it energy? Those are two different things. Um, and with the amount of ordering that people are doing now, you know, that's a, they're saving energy. They're not really saving that much time, depending on what the concept is that they're ordering from. Uh, they're probably not saving money because it might cost you more to order food in than to go into the restaurant and get it yourself. But it's that saving energy. So if you think about that resource balance, that's another thing I guess care about, right? Is, is what do they have? Where I live, I live in a college town. I live in Ithaca, New York. And most of the year, most guests are students. And this is an Ivy League institution at Cornell. So these students, most of them, I'll be honest, they have quite a bit of money. <laughs> so money is usually not the concern for them. It's usually time and energy. So yeah. they care about that a lot, right? So you're, you're <laughs> getting back into the whys right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I see one of the questions that just popped up was about was the me. whys. It was you? <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm curious, uh, you being somebody who's so plugged into the industry, uh, and you're seeing trends of people developing their why, like what are the big whys that are uh, getting a lot of traction right now? Um, you mean on the parts of people creating restaurant concepts or on guests? Uh, I guess like what's the, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. So like, what are, are there, are there, is there a trend in the whys, the missions behind the restaurant that seem to be getting a lot of traction? Absolutely. And I'm going to distill it to one word, community. Mm. Um, people want to feel like they are connected to you as a restaurant concept or to you as any other kind of business. They want to feel a relationship. 
They want to build a community. Part of that is social media has facilitated this. Um, I'm going to use an example. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I don't know how many of you are on Twitter. And one of the uh, favorite uh, Twitter accounts I follow is for Steakum. Now, I would never eat Steakum. You know what I mean by Steakum? It's a, it's a product. It's a frozen beef product. They're thinly sliced pieces of frozen beef for making a pseudo Philly okay. cheese. If yeah. anybody listening is a Philly person, they'll go like, oh my God. Is it the one that comes in like the little like plastic that has a, a, a wax paper and you just like already put into like servings for you? I don't, I don't even know because I've never <laughs> bought it. I know. I mean, if someone's listening and they're a steak up person, I apologize. But you have the best Twitter account ever because even though I don't buy your product, here I am talking about it with a whole bunch of restaurant professionals. So it tells you I've already sort of bought into this community because they've used their Twitter feed to talk about things that have nothing to do with frozen beef, nothing to do with food, but that make people connect with that brand and associate certain things with that brand. So they've built this online community about being a good citizen. That's what they write about, being a good citizen and what that means. Yeah. And, you know, suddenly you've got people saying well, that that's what this brand stands for. And I'm I'm all in because I want to be a good citizen. And so you asked about you know trends. That's one form of community is making people feel like they connect about something bigger than what you're serving. Yeah. And I'll see a lot of people that will take that element of community, something about the a change they want to see in their community or in the world. Uh, whether that be equal rights or that be uh, uh, like a wage disparity or whatever it might be, like there's something that they want to see a change they want to see in the world, and they make that change at the the leading edge. And I think that people is, is that what you say by community tours, or more just connecting people and being an excuse for people to get together. I think more the former than the latter, but maybe okay. it's somewhere in between, which is. Humans, we are herd animals, right? We do not function well as individuals. That's why this last year and a half has been so hard for so many people is kind of been isolating and why we as restaurateurs, we have a really important role to play to create that, that place you can gather with other humans again. Hooray. But I think people need to feel connected to other people that may or may not be family members of theirs. That's just deep in our DNA. And so what the community piece doesn't have to be sort of what restaurants have normally done is said things like, oh, you know, we engage the community by participating in the local festivals or sponsoring a little league team or whatever. That That's one way of doing it. But it's deeper than that. It's more about that, that psychological, you talked about psychographics earlier. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with the term psychographics, um, it just means people who think alike. So when we talk about developing a, uh, a business plan, we often talk about demographics, right? Age, gender, family size, well, you know, where people live. Yeah, facts about people. That's demographics. Psychographics is how people think and people that think alike. So I use the example of Target and Walmart, right? So there are Target people and Walmart people. And maybe immediately you started sort of getting a vision in your mind of what those people think. That's what I mean by psychographics. And does that connect with what you think of it, Eric? Because you used yes. the first. Yeah, yeah. So back to the community, people want to have a psychographic party or a group to connect to. And so if you can understand who your prospective customer is, figure out what they care about, what is the psychographic profile that is 
going to work well with your own position in the world. You can't, you can't create a concept that is communicating something that you don't believe yeah. or you don't stand for. So in, in, in my mind, this is like, this could be hobbies. This is going to be something that this is where, when you inject yourself into your business, your passions, your interests, mm-hmm. your hobbies, you can use that to find other people that have the same psychographic or the same interests as you. And, or you're, or even if you're just injecting your values into the business, the other people are going to say me too. And like, so you're literally connecting people. You're, you're providing the space and the literal relationships that not just with you and your guests, but with your guests in, in each other, connecting your guests together because they share the same values, the same psychographics as you and the same hobbies as you. Yeah. I think, I think the values were there is the key one. Yeah, I really yeah. do because, uh, is and those values they many of the values that make us restaurateurs are universal you know yeah. doing good to other people so since i don't see any hands going up i'm going to get super selfish and ask you all the questions i have for me and what i'm trying to do here how's that sound okay although brandon now has one oh, Andy, question for us that's fine that's fine thank you brandon do you want yeah. to ask your question or do you want me to ask it you can just point at me if you want me to ask it He's going to have me ask it. Uh, do you suggest goals in a business plan? I mean, goals actually written out in the business plan or having goals as you think about writing it? Goals written out in the business plan specifically? Feel free to unmute. Yeah. yeah. Goals written out in the business plan, specifically short-term and long-term and with timeframes. Absolutely. Write them last um, it may sound crazy. Everyone says, start with your goals. And then, you know, the, from the goals and, and you might think of goals as your guide rails, but actually documenting them. Absolutely. I think it's a good thing to include. The time frame thing is a bit fraught because I have never worked on a restaurant project and I've worked on several that everything went according to the time plan, right? Yeah. It could be that you didn't get permit on time or you open up a wall and you discover that there's nothing holding that wall up, but now you got to do a whole bunch of additional construction, whatever it is. So I may not stay the time frame. I wouldn't necessarily lock onto, but you might say our initial goal is to, you know, open this restaurant and get it stabilized by, you know, by stabilized. I mean that it's making money at a consistent level by year three, which is not unrealistic. I think a lot of people think we get in the restaurant business and the money's just pouring on all of our heads. And nope. I see you smiling and like, nope, that's not how it happens. But uh, I think you can say, look, I have a goal of opening one unit, getting it stabilized. And the goal is to get to three units in this market by year seven or whatever it is. Sure. Um, but if you're going to use goals, write them last when you've got all the supporting evidence to show that those goals are realistic. Because if you put a goal in that document that someone reading is like, yeah, that's just, that's field of dreams. Um, you're not doing yourself a service. When I think of goals, I think that goes in your vision. That's a place to like write down like the, like, what is your goal? What does it look like? How does it make you feel? What are people saying about like all that stuff? That, that feels like vision stuff, right? One-year goal, five-year goal. No? I mean, I'm, this is where you start sort of wrestling with what these different words mean, right? Vision, goal, objective. And academics will spend hours arguing, with what's, what's a goal? What's an objective? I think you've got sort of three buckets for, you know, why are you doing this? Those are goals to some extent. Yeah. What do you hope to achieve? Those are goals and objectives. 
And how are you going to get there? There are some sort of buried goals and objectives in there. So I'm a little sort of not too worried about which term you use. But I think what Brandon's question was more about very concrete, specific, measurable outcomes. Should you put those in a business plan? And I'm going to say yes with a caveat and do it last once you've done all the other work. Whereas what you're saying, Eric, what I think, I'm putting words in your mouth, but you're talking about starting with a vision that has sort of why are you doing this and what do you hope to get out of it? That's a good place to begin so that you start to define those guide rails. That's another way of thinking about the word goal. So yeah. you can, And it I'm does get here. super foggy. It does get super foggy when it comes to the like mission purpose. You know, like all like that stuff, like it gets a yeah, little, like, which, you know, you can fight yeah. about what those terms mean. <laughs> and I think people get kind of hung up on them. Like, oh my God, I don't know what my purpose is. You know, I can't move forward. Of course you can move forward, you know, figure it, write down something and you can always come back. It, you'll help sort of craft your purpose and your vision and your mission and however you want to frame it as you think through details. So this is an iterative process. I think that's where I want to end. Although I see Wes has a question and I'll get to your question just a sec. This is an iterative process. And so it's not like I have to have it all worked out and write it in a linear way. You're constantly adding and subtracting and changing and and that's what it's for. Uh, So don't beat yourself up if you don't think you have a purpose or a vision or a mission or a goal or it'll come. Yeah. Wes, you're, you're ready to rock and roll. We're ready for you. All right. So I have a tendency to sort of uh, uh, go overboard and, uh, you know, get, and then I end up getting lost as I sort of take on too much. So what information would you consider to be uh, excessive, uh, doesn't need to be included or should be avoided uh, for sort of brevity purposes and, and otherwise cut, cutting, cut out the, uh, the weak stuff. Ah, great question. It's like pruning an apple tree. Um, I like the analogy of buckets. So when you're writing, have in your mind sort of three buckets. You have the absolutely crucial, like this is, if you had Two seconds, or excuse me, let me rephrase that. If you had 20 seconds in an elevator with an investor, what would be the things you would say? Those are in the crucial bucket, right? Then you got the bucket on the other end, which is the details. All go in the bucket. You know, it's details of menu or details of how you're going to execute or details of packaging or details, you know, whatever it is. It doesn't mean that information's bad. You should have it because you have thought means you're thinking through and it helps you a lot with what we're going to talk about in the next two workshops, which is your projected revenues and projected performance and your capital budget. So there's no bad information, but the bucket that has all that detail, you may not want to put anything in that bucket in your initial business plan. And then the bucket in the middle is what you're not sure about. Either it's, excuse me, it's either things that you can uh, maybe move into the more important or maybe they move into the detail bucket, but if you're not sure. So I would write my document that way. As I'm writing whatever it is that comes to mind, go ahead and write it down. Don't worry about editing yourself. But as you go through, you might say, I'm going to cut and paste this paragraph and put it in the detail bucket. Academics refer to this as the appendices, (laughs) right? If you look at an academic book, There's really only about 100 pages of value, and then there's like 200 pages of all the supporting stuff that no one ever reads. But you need to have done that work to provide the support for the part that people do read. So I wouldn't edit yourself too much. 
but keep that content in a bucket where you can pull it out as needed. But it's okay to go down a rabbit hole as you're thinking this stuff through. It'll help you with the numbers. All right, Wes, did you put your hand back up or did you just not lower or did I not lower? I can't remember. I just didn't lower. Okay, there you go. Does that, do you have a follow-up question? Uh, I might hear in a second, but if somebody else has one, they can jump in. All right. I don't see any questions rolling through. Um, I mean, back to the the thought process I was going on uh, with what I'm doing right now with Restaurant Unstoppable, uh, my business plan isn't so much like the what, what happens when you have a business plan that's a bunch of businesses that all kind of like vertically integrate. When do you start that process of, is it a separate business plan to vertically integrate all of your businesses? Or is, do you treat that like one business where like each section is its own business? Do you know what I'm saying? I do. And I'm going to go back to my original point, which is who's your audience and what do they care about? Who are you asking for what? So let's say you have, you're talking about this integrated business, right? And I think where you're going is you've got, you know, Restaurant Unstoppable, the podcast, and you've got the network, and then you've got this business you want to start that kind of feeds into and provides a platform for. So if you're talking to an advisor about an integrated media business, of course, you want to have all that information tied together. If you're talking to an advisor about specifically your restaurant operation, that sort of needs to be its own little standalone. But I feel like when it comes to like the restaurant, what makes so like what, why me, right? If I'm, if I'm selling myself to a bank, why me? Well, because I have this podcast and this massive network of people who are going to coach me along the way. And we're going to document that whole process. And we're going to teach the world. Our why is to change is to transform the restaurant industry by encouraging people to open up and to share and to come together and unite around this mentality that there's a better way to do things. Right. So for me, where so much of my why is incorporated with the bigger picture, is that just mm-hmm. like a, a cliff note? No, that's, that's where you begin. You say, I, okay. my vision is I want to help and change the restaurant industry. And I'm going to do that a bunch of different ways. Let me talk to you about those different ways and how they integrate and how they are going to make money. Because if you're talking about to the bank, right? Yeah. How are they going to make money? So, no, you need for what you're talking about. I would definitely want to stitch them together in one because that's the overarching why is I'm doing this because I really see an opportunity to make a difference in one of the largest industries in the country that employs one of the highest number of people, we will again, um, and makes a difference in everybody's life every day, right? People eat out all the time. So I think you've got a a sort of an overarching vision and then these pieces plug into it. And then you're explaining how that's going to make money if you're talking to a bank. Got it. If you're if you're looking for just feedback about the restaurant piece of it, you might have to just peel that piece off because let's face it, if we're building a restaurant, no matter what its main purpose is, it has to make money. We don't do this for fun. I mean, we do do it for fun because it's the best industry in the world, but it still needs to be a viable business. And so you need to make sure that you've got a a business that can stand on its own. Each individual unit can stand on its own. By that, I mean, you don't have to have 10 units to be profitable, that each of those units can generate profit on its own. Otherwise, you do not have a viable business. That, it might be a a sort of a spinoff or a a separate document that you use for different purposes. 
Um, but your business isn't really a restaurant that you're talking about. Your, your business is restaurant unstoppable and you've got all these different components. And as you think it through more and get more feedback, you might start thinking of additional components. Maybe it's a book, maybe it's a tour, maybe it's, I don't know. And I think that's how restaurateurs need to start thinking though, that their business, their restaurant is just a component of what they're trying to do. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Everything we do is a component. Um, oh, the hands are going up everywhere now, Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is great. Um, everything we do in our life is supposed to be <laughs> enhancing us in some way, shape or form. I think uh, Wes is chomping at the base. Like, oh, turn, Wes. Yeah. Jump right in. Wes. What you got? <laughs> I just, uh, I realized that I lowered my hand and put it back up. So I didn't know if it just looked like it was sitting there up, but uh, so I'm working on a SBA application for a potential business. The specific model is a board game cafe. So nice. we have a full service menu. We have uh, cocktails with a liquor license, cafe equipment, and then library board games people can take back to the tables, et cetera. So we've f- formed our sort of corporate structure where we have an operating company and a real estate company. And I have two different things that I need to do as far as SBA applications go. One is um, trying to apply for a loan for the the buildings themselves so we can get an SBA commercial mortgage. And then two is uh, some startup expenses to cover for uh, that. So my target audience is the SBA. And I have two different applications essentially that I need to make or one sort of combined application with two separate business plans is what I'm intending to structure that as. Um, am I on the right path and any advice or tips? Oh, gosh. Um, yes. I, well, first thing, you know, to do an SBA loan, you know you have to be rejected by a bank first, right? That's how it works is you go to a bank and you say, I'd like money. And the bank goes, ah, no, you know, we don't, we don't know who you are. But there's this SBA loan. So I think your audience in this case is not the SBA. For those listening who may not, that's the Small Business Administration. And this is a loan program that provides funding to small businesses for physical. They won't give you working capital. They won't give you, you know, but they will, they will help with physical, in other words, assumable assets. Um, but you first have to get denied by a bank. So you need to probably start your conversation or your, your business planning by figuring out what your local bank cares about, who funds restaurants in your market. Um, I see you wearing a Tennessee Titans uh, shirt. So are you in Tennessee? No, I relocated to Illinois. So okay. um, bringing on my Tennessee background. <laughs> okay. So you, you want to start with that, but I think I would maybe not go down too far in the how you want to structure the real estate company, the operating company. That that's a that's a later discussion to have. Um, I think the first discussion you need to have is how is a board game cafe going to be profitable and scalable? And it can be absolutely. Um, the challenge you have is length of stay because people stay a long time playing board games, which is great, and you just got to keep the average check growing. Um, So you need to make that, that case first. And when you go to a bank, demonstrate that with a single unit, you can be profitable. And then you can start, when you start growing, having the real estate company. And now it sounds like you're building a building from scratch. Is that what I heard you say? 
No. So uh, there's a 1950s bowling alley that's been converted into a wedding venue with sort of some of the lanes converted into like a bar top and tabletops, et cetera, that we're looking to purchase because we do want to do some uh, remodeling, including like putting there's no windows. There's you know, so some sort of extensive building remodel. Um, and we have gone to the bank and the bank has essentially said, especially with COVID, that uh one, they would fund us, but two, that they recommend that we make an SBA loan application through an affiliate that they have uh, because terms are currently favorable. Um, this, this could be something we could talk about offline and have a, okay. an office hours to go into the details. But but your main question is, you know, how much detail do you want to provide to the bank mm-hmm. enough that they can understand how you and how you're going to make money and to support that with evidence? Um, and there isn't a one answer to anyone's particular business model. Um, I think you just, again, think who's, who's reading this and what do they care about? And when it comes to lenders, Eric said it beautifully, are they going to get paid back? Equity versus SBA. That is the question. Um, SBA is less expensive, right? Debt is always less expensive than equity, um, but it's harder to get. Uh, I would love to do an SBA loan 101 uh, workshop. I don't know if anybody can make any recommendations as to who that person would be if you want to think about that, but that is definitely on my radar. Uh, If we don't have any more questions, I think we can think about wrapping it up. Uh, We're almost at an hour and 10 minutes. Thank you so much, Stephanie. You were great. Uh, We do, and I I didn't give you a warning here, but I know you have a massive network and you know a lot of great people. We usually wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. And that's usually ideally how I find my future guests for the show. So who do you respect and admire in the restaurant industry? Somebody that you think would make a great guest, somebody you would listen to, you'd tune into that episode if you knew that I was getting them on the show. Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, I can think of tons and tons of people. Um, who are doing interesting things. Um, this may sound really out of left field because they're not in the restaurant industry, That's fine. but I think there's a lot to learn from people outside and I'd have to actually get their name because I don't know this person. Okay. Well. There is a hotel concept that I think is brilliant and they are leveraging technology and uh, uh, um, modular design with an incredible understanding of who their customer is and what they care about. And they're executing beautifully. And it's a company called Citizen M. Citizen M. Where are they Citizen based? M. It's a hotel company. They're based in Europe. They're based in the Netherlands. Um, but they Jared, have some, pack your bags, man. We're going on a trip. <laughs> but they have them in, in here in the United States and they have them in all kinds of places. But the reason I say that is because they are the, what I think is the perfect marriage of understanding their guests incredibly well and doing amazing execution, and they're creative thinkers. Um, so if you get a chance to go to their website, Citizen M, I have no investment in them. They are a privately held company. Believe me, if they were public, I would be throwing money at these people. Um, but there's a lot to learn from what they're doing. So if you can track down somebody at Citizen M to talk to about how they marry uh, understanding the guest and creating an amazing business model, that's who I would talk to. Beautiful. Stephanie, 
Robson, thank you so much for uh, joining us for part one of this three-part series. And if you guys enjoyed today's recording and you want to be a part of future conversations, uh, make sure you head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com, create a profile, be a part of the conversation. And how can we connect with you, Stephanie, if we listen to this today and we want to maybe follow up with an email or, or a question, what's the best way to connect? Believe it or not, email is the best. And my email address is pretty easy. It's S is in Stephanie, K-R-4, the number four. So S-K-R-4 at Cornell.edu. So Cornell is C-O-R-N-E-L-L dot E-D-U. And now I'm expecting my inbox to go boom with everything. <laughs> okay. I will say that Stephanie is also in the network now. She created her own profile. Uh, so that's another way to connect and maybe I don't, I would love to host you in uh Wes on packaging that during a coffee with Eric. If you want to get sure. back. In the, sure. So we'll figure out a coffee hour. We can do that. Be yeah. happy. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you to everybody who showed up. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Boom. I know you guys found value in that episode. Tell me you didn't find value in that episode, tons of great stuff came from today's chat. I think the big takeaway for me, one of the lessons I pull from today's conversation is this mindset that you're also writing your business plan for yourself. It's a way for you to get all of your ideas, all of your thoughts, all of your strategy into one place uh, to keep yourself accountable. So I don't know. I just think that that's a cool way to look at your business plan. It's a di- I think the other big thing for me is like it's it's dynamic. It's not static. It's not like you do it once and it goes away. It's something that you're constantly working on and evolving and developing. Uh, and no matter where you are in your life cycle of being a restaurateur, this information is valuable. Uh, maybe for restaurant two, three, or four. You know, Maybe you didn't do it for your first restaurant, but now that you're scaling, now that you're going to be putting your big boy restaurant tour pants on or big girl restaurant tour pants on, you are going to use these resources. And don't forget that when you sign up for Restaurant Unstoppable Network, you get six months free access to restaurantowner.com. And if you're listening to this uh, during the week of the 23rd, I believe, today's the 18th I'm recording. No, wait. No. Yeah. If you're listening to this on the 19th, which is the day this goes live, you still have three days to join us for part three. So this is part one. Who do you write your business plan for? Part two was recorded earlier this week. That will be going live next week. And that is all about the pro forma. And then part three is going to be focusing on capital budgeting. So really great stuff coming out of these workshops over the next three weeks. I hope you guys are as excited as I am for part two and three. I know you're going to like it. We already recorded part two and man, tons of, of value. You guys have no idea what's coming. So if you want to be a part of the third session, again, come hang out at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And guys, when you join Restaurant Unstoppable Network, you are really supporting this podcast. It goes such a long way and you get to be a part of the community, part of the conversation. I record something almost every day in the network, bonus content. So you're getting a lot when you join the network and it's lonely at the top, but it doesn't have to be. So come hang out with us. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're finding value until next time. Peace out.